0: The first thing would be to ask uh, either your CFO or the champion whether they've bought a similar tour in the past, and, and to have a conversation with the CFO to understand. Okay, we know that in this world now, most CFOs we speak with will focus on spend management and efficiency. If you were to prioritize one of these two, where would you see the most important aspect? So that you know, we can have a full conversation.
1: Welcome to Asia Growth Forecast by HubSpot, a podcast where we dissect successful sales strategies of fast-growing brands and show you how to grow your business in Asia.
2: We talk with sales leaders from brands like Nium, Aspire, VMware, and Asana to uncover the secret sauce behind their sales motion and to understand what it takes to win the hearts and the minds of buyers in this region. I am Romka Valkowiak. And I am Adarsh Norona, and together we lead sales for HubSpot across Southeast Asia and India. And we'll be your host this season. Now let's get into today's show.
1: Welcome, Christoph. The first time I spoke to you, I knew we have to get you on the podcast soon. And so we're excited to have you today. How are you? I'm doing
0: great. Thank you for having me today. It's a pleasure.
1: Christoph, you started your journey in Europe and then you moved to Asia. And along the way, you have led sales teams in some well-known brands like Microsoft, like uh, LinkFluence, PayPal, and most recently, Panopto. You also, somewhere in between, opened your own consultancy. So tell us a little bit more about your career journey.
0: You may hear I'm French. I was born and raised in France in a multicultural family. Family members from my extended family come from different places, such as Romania, Burundi, the U.S., Mexico, Germany, uh, India, and obviously France. Wow. And I moved uh, at the end of 2010 on a one-way ticket with my wife. It was... uh, a way for us to start something new. I had been in a pre-sales environment, uh, taking care of pre-sales activities at Microsoft globally, and I enjoyed client interaction so much that I said, Asia is a new playground for me. Let's try something new. And I started as a sales manager for PayPal, covering uh, the enterprise space in Southeast Asia and India. And I had a great time at at that moment. Uh, So obviously, Adi, you are more an expert of this uh, huge market, which is India. I was uh, the first sales manager for the enterprise space, covering the Indian market uh, out of Singapore, and then hired two sales executives on the ground. And for me, it was a A big learning journey, being able to understand uh, the full sales cycle, being able to do cold calling, uh, having the capacity to engage across uh, different audiences, markets. It was the first time for me to sell to CFOs, so I'm specifically uh, excited to be talking about my experience uh, with both of you. At that time, actually, PayPal was not a well-known company. My colleagues uh, on the floor actually uh, had a good moment when I had to spell out P-A-Y-P-A-L. Uh, when I was cold calling uh, companies because PayPal was relatively unknown at that time, so that gave us a, a few good laugh laughs around the, around the office. And it was really about learning the, the sales around, you know, customer management, funnel management. How do you position your company in a, in a foreign market? That was a, a fantastic time also for me to learn how to do business in India. Customers on the ground in the biggest cities, so Bangalore, Mumbai, Delhi, and Chennai. And after five years, I got the opportunity in 2015 to learn from, from scratch to the APAC business of a European scale-up, LinkFluence, which was a specialist in a social media listening business. I built a team of 15, launching the, the company across the whole of Asia-Pacific, uh, India, Southeast Asia, uh, had a big focus on the China market as well. Really um, working with my team to expand the business and the the, the revenue of of the company. I took then uh, the decision to launch my own sales consulting company in 2020. I started uh, working with startup leadership teams to expand, help them expand their business, uh, optimize their GTM activities, and overall helping them where I could be uh, of maximum value. So I redesigned some company pitch. Uh, We worked on website redesign. Uh, working on you know some negotiation in, uh, in the sales cycle. Uh, but I missed the, uh, the corporate world, I would say, and then uh, went back to the corporate side to join Panopto in January 2022 as a VP of sales for Asia Pacific in, a, again, a SaaS environment that I really enjoy working in, in the cloud video management space. So that's me in a few words.
1: That's fantastic. Thank you so much. That's pretty impressive and really looking forward to our conversation today. I know, I already know we are going to learn lots of great stuff from you today. But before we get there, other than impressive sales and leadership career, obviously, uh, we really want to get to know you a little bit more. So I have a little bit of a fun question for you. Are you ready?
0: Yes, of course. Let's do that.
1: Tell us something about you that most people would be surprised to know.
0: Fun fact about me, I actually have the equivalent of the PR for India. My wife was born in Pondicherry and so I get to take the national lane when I travel to India, thanks to this. That's the first one.
1: Oh, fantastic. That's great. So that's the first one. What's the second one?
0: The second one is that I have a twin brother who is uh, who lives in Montreal. And so we live uh, far away from each other, but we speak on the phone quite often.
1: Awesome. Are you identical twins?
2: Yes, we are. Chris, that's awesome. And I was so... Uh glued on to hearing your roots uh, going back to India. So I want to quickly jump into where we left off uh, on your career journey and then obviously wanting to ask you something that's the theme of the show. This is where we really want to know more about. We've noticed among the personas that we really engage in any SaaS sales business, one of the personas that was not as much involved before but now we see more He's our chief financial officer. The CFO, the desk of the CFO is more prominent these days. And that's what we are trying to get understanding through your experience as well. So from what we are seeing on the ground in Asia, CFO's desk has become not only just an important stakeholder, but also the role of the CFO in decision making and influencing uh, potential purchase. I'm given to an understanding that this could be because of the economic uncertainties that we are in and a rigid market, for example. But I'm curious to hear, what are you seeing on the ground? And can you share a bit more with the audience today on why salespeople need to care about the CFO as a key stakeholder in today's climate?
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it's a very good question. Um, uh, I would say that that first, uh, during the good season of the market where SaaS was growing really fast, CFOs were sometimes inclined to allow spend that would uh, build the growth on their end. But sometimes they even actually went a bit too far. And We've seen CFOs having issues now where because they actually uh, approved expenses that they should have been a bit more um, thoughtful of in the beginning. Obviously, with the current economic environment, we are in a situation where the CFO is now one of the most important stakeholders. The first thing is that the CFO now is going to be is actually already looking at spend and efficiency on a daily basis, which means that they want to make sure that spend is uh, makes sense and that the spend, the tools that are being bought are actually utilized as they should. And when it comes to tool selection, the first thing they're going to make sure is that the champion has made their own due diligence to check that the spend is justified. So if we look at the first uh, step, which is the tools, the CFO is asking himself or herself, why do we need this tool now? Maybe we were fine before. Is there a strong reason what we would call the compelling event? A compelling reason for me to approve that spend. And then they will say, okay, what bucket does the tool fall into? Does it improve efficiencies? As a sales leader, I'm always very cautious about ROI conversations that I have with the CFO because they've been through the drill many times. They know that sometimes ROI can be, you know, can be discussed, but you know, there's not not always a, a something that can be fully proven. Does it increase revenue? Is it, is it mission critical? For instance, cybersecurity is mission critical. There are other tools that may just be what I would call the candy or a nice to have. And then they would wonder whether the spend is already in the budget. Is it something that's been already planned for? And if not, how will the champion or the budget owner will make up for the difference? The last thing I would I would like to say is that the CFO will ask uh, either the salesperson or the champion, how does this tool help us? meet our company objectives for this year. And this is where it's very important that on the sales side, we are very aware of if it's specifically, if it's a public listed company, what are the objectives for the year? What did the CFO CEO say? What are their main priorities? Are there specific programs that the company wants to implement that we can tie our, our solution into so that we can show very clearly the value of the business? So that's what I wanted to make mention about the tools.
2: I remember yeah. good old days when we used to brief our uh, reps and they had a meeting with CFO. The only two bits that you always shared was focus your conversation either to help them improve the revenue or reduce the cost. That, that's a very simple thing that we used to tell our reps. But CFO's desk has really, really gotten into uh, this sales process uh, in a deeper sense my big takeaway from that conversation that you just did was one just yes, risk management and CFO knows the financial health of the business better than most other roles so I think the risk management and if I add a dollar where will I put the dollar comes best from the CFO and the desk yep. so I think we need to respect that hierarchy and be very flexible in our way of Working with the CFOs yeah. with that mindset because I feel like you rightly said, the numbers and the data are a DNA of CFOs desk and the ROI and the value proposition is always measured quantitatively. so. You're always better to bring a compelling reason, which is qualitative and measured and not a long English grammar sentence. So that's something that my boss had taught me. You got to have a compelling reason for somebody to make a purchase, which is measured in numbers. If you
0: don't identify a compelling reason or an event, this is where you put yourself at risk in terms of negotiation at the end, because you won't have justifying eternally the, the business in enough to stick to your ideal pricing. That, that's that's the, the, the unintended consequence of not doing a proper discovery and not you know managing as best as you can the sales cycle.
1: Exactly. And this yeah. is also where the, the business acumen comes in from our sales reps and sales leadership as well when it comes to coaching sales reps towards uh, towards that direction the world has changed massively in the past couple of years where especially right now during the economic downturn, there is so much push from organizations to do more with less, that uh, CFOs from that simple conversation around saving costs on the purchase have evolved massively into all those four things that you that you mentioned about. What I really would love to get uh, into right now is the CFO mindset, because I think this is where the rubber hits the road. If we know as salespeople, what is the CFO's mindset, we will be able to have a better conversation from the discovery point of view, but also from delivering value in that conversations to our CFOs during the sales process. So Mm -hmm. that's where my next question goes, really. In your opinion, what does a typical CFO really care about, especially during this tough economic climate?
0: I would say the CFO's role is to ensure the company stays in business.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And that means that they will only approve spends that they know will have a business justification, and that's Mm -hmm. going to deliver value over time. There is a very interesting approach from a company called Winning by Design that's called the data model, Mm -hmm. which they're actually using a, a bow tie model, which takes the traditional sales funnel, which is vertical. It lays this funnel on its side, and it describes the actual behavior in the sales cycle before the sales, so that's the first part of the left, where you have the traditional sales cycle uh, from discovery to closure. And then once the contract is signed, where we actually see a mutual commitment to deliver a value, this is where actually the interest uh, is in the model where you actually understand that the CFO will want to make sure that the imp- business impact that offered by the solution is realized over time. So typically a proper onboarding, a delivery of the value you are claiming to deliver uh, in the first uh, year of the contract. And then if the impact is recurring, this is where you can actually increase revenue by selling other products or and actually re, uh, renewing the contract. So the CFO is really here not to just say I only spend what I have, but I only spend something that is going to help me achieve sustainable growth. And the bowtie model is actually something that's very interesting when you look at the, the sales cycle and all the processes that serve leaders can put in place.
1: Well, I don't know if you know this, guys, but 78% of CFOs say that effectively balancing trade-offs between short-term and long-term priorities is an important challenge for finance leaders, which shows exactly how this more simple conversation that we that we are used to around just pricing evolved into delivering real value, and not just any value, anytime, but it has to be fairly fast within the first year of CFOs approving the purchase of a specific solution. Do you have any customer story perhaps, Chris? I know you do. And I'd love for you to share that uh, with us today.
0: I would mention the case of DBS, which I've met, met the CFO, and obviously we we had prepared our due diligence and the CFOs had two questions. The first one is, how do I make sure that my organization will will benefit from from the business value of your tool? Uh, Panopto, it's a SaaS solution, a video content management system that helps optimize employee training and onboarding. what, what I did with my team is to show success stories of customers in the banking space to give them specific examples of what the companies achieved in terms of employee NPS, retention, satisfaction. But also we showed them that we actually had worked with the champion on a scoping plan whereby we would start with a subset of their employees. Usually we started with a specific division to show the value at the corporate level. Uh, we would put in place a customer success plan, having at least quarterly business reviews with them to make sure that we could track the impact that we were selling to the company. And and at the end of the first year, ensure that the conversation or the renewal was something that was just a a formality, if if I could use that expression. So it's really about understanding as salespeople that the value of the on the customer side doesn't end when we sign the contract. It's mm-hmm. the beginning of a process where if we do the right thing, if we properly align and work with the CSM team, we will deliver a recurring impact which will translate into a recurring revenue and over time will help ensure that we have maximum a lifetime value or maximum revenue we can get.
1: That's a great example. Thank you for sharing that. I think what I'm seeing, one trend that is very common, a common denominator really of uh, what we are hearing from our guests on, on this podcast is the deliver value. Mm. Always deliver value, deliver value. But that value needs to be catered and tailored towards the uh, stakeholder uh, with whom we are dealing it at, uh, at that very moment of the sales cycle. And the value does not just finish with being able to express it, but also with being able to deliver it afterwards, uh, right? So let's shift gears a little bit. We spoke about priorities of CFOs. Let's now talk a little bit more about how they are actually, or are they actually tracking it to, to ensure uh, that services the company purchases Uh, are actually being used and if yes what type of tools do you think they are using and what what implication does it have for salespeople
0: Uh, definitely so there are two things i see First, CFOs are more and more using spend management tools. There are some tools on the market that ensure that companies are actually paying for the licenses they bought, which is very important because on the company's side, it ensures that the money is used for something that is actually used. But it means also that from our side, from a sales perspective, it's important that you can uh, right-size, specifically uh, during the first year of the contract, the tool properly. And then you have a customer success Plan in place whereby you onboard as you should enough people onto the platform, and that you track and that you share during quarterly business reviews with the the, the analytics that your platform provides what's actually being used, so that there is no you know, surprise uh, along the the first year of the of the of the, of the cycle, I would say.
2: Chris, I'm loving this deep dive into the mindset of a CFO and further ahead into this discussion. Could you run us through a few principles or strategies that our sales professionals should follow when they're selling to a CFO? Particularly in an hierarchical region like Asia, right? When CFOs may not always be directly accessible, but they do have a great deal of influence like we already know.
0: That's a a very important question. The first one would be to understand who your champion is. Uh, I've Mm -hmm. seen many situations where our champion had never bought... A software license they didn't brief their legal team and they sent us a a contract that was actually designed to build a solution where the ip would be transferred and obviously when you start on that foot it means that the organization is not ready so that would Mm -hmm. that would be the first one if your champion has recently joined the organization or they've not gone through many rounds of discussion with the cfo it's very important that you can uh, use some of the elements i mentioned as a checklist to ensure that your champion if you don't have access specifically to the CFO, your champion is properly prepared to show mm. that he/she has done a due diligence uh, in the right way, and that's this, so that the CFO doesn't push back too much in terms of spend, if I if I would say. That's uh, that, right. So that's very very important.
2: And we generally see sales professionals Ooh. not really involving CFOs a bit early in the process. What are your thoughts about it? Do you think it's a right idea uh, to get to the desk of CEO a bit earlier than usual? Uh, Yes, Uh, obviously uh,
0: when you are in sales cycle, you want to make sure quite early in the process is specific, specifically if you are doing a proof of concept or or a pilot, whether the spend has already been budgeted for or not. Hmm. If yes, then it means that you can, you know, involve the CFO a bit later. If not, it's, it's very key that you have a direct conversation with your champion and, and you, you say, in my, in my experience, we see that if the, there's no budget, we come into a situation where the organization will need to find a way to make up for something that's not been uh, already taken into consideration. Do you already have set budget aside? And if not, how can we work together on a very strong business model or business case? So that when you come to your CFO, and I will, would love to prepare for that conversation, then that's something that it doesn't go into too many discussions where you will see a strong pushback. And it's really sharing in advance potential things that could go wrong so that you see and you build with your champion the best success path. When should we talk to the CFO and organizations and leaders would have their preferences some would say as a cfo i want to start early so that i'm aware of you know why why we're having this conversation specifically if the champion is, is again either new in the organization or has not really done this, this kind of due diligence it's really very important to to be able to, able to adapt
2: to how things are run yeah and i have always seen cfos are probably the best sparks when you explain them the marginal cost or the opportunity mm. cost of not doing certain things. Yep. I've always seen good sales reps present their case studies to CFOs saying, why should you act on this? And the reception from the other side is probably the best of any other CXO table mm. that I've seen. Your thoughts?
0: Yes, uh, exactly, Adi. That's what I was saying earlier. Uh, if you don't have a compelling reason, this is where mm. you're going to lose most of the margin on your side and where you need to you know, uh, discount significantly to to be able to sell so that's that's mm-hmm. very important
1: I think also this is where the ROI conversation comes into play and those organizations who have invested into building a narrative around ROI or mm-hmm. even having ROI calculators that they can share in advance as part of the business case, not only to CFOs, but also to their champions, that usually makes the sale much faster mm-hmm. and it's also much easier to convey that value.
0: This is so much, so, so important, Ramka, ROI calculation doesn't mm-hmm. cannot be a black box.
1: Yeah. Otherwise,
0: mm-hmm. the CFO will definitely question the value and the, mm-hmm. the actual cost you're going to save them. The more transparency through
2: a calculator, the better you will be off. Romka, I, I was thinking of asking you this because yeah. me and you, we have been talking to customers in most of our acquisition processes. And when you are talking to some of the spokes and some of the CXOs, how do you navigate? How do you prepare them to let us to talk to CFOs? What's the way, because you don't want to really be in a position where you're telling the CXO that, listen, I think I need to talk to your CFO and I feel he's more important. You don't want to come across like that, but you still have to navigate like Chris and you've been t- talking about the mindset. It is very important for us to get the table. So either of you, uh, Chris and Ramka, how do you, what kind of questions do you ask or Help, help our audience to understand how to navigate that situation.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I think that's an important question and that uh, very often becomes a blocker in the sales process, right? And I think leading with value really can get you really far. And having that mindset as a salesperson that I, I am here to help the organization to solve a legitimate problem And this is where we are coming back to to the discovery that Chris was was, was talking about, how important it is really to have strong discovery, understand the company's values, the company's goals and aims and objectives for a given year. Once you have that, then it's easier to have this conversation with CXO level where you're coming from a, a point where you want to help and you want to deliver value to all elements of an organization and that also means a financial element which means we need to be in front of the cfo chris would you agree
0: yes definitely i would also mention that understanding from your champion what's the power dimension within the company there are companies where the cfo is the gatekeeper there are others mm-hmm. where you need to go through the cto first because uh from a technical perspective, it, it's a sensitive topic. So really, and also ask your champion how long has, or you can find it on LinkedIn, but how long has been the CFO in the company for? What makes him tick? Have you already had this budget conversation with him on a, on a different tool so that you can strategize with your champion the best way to put your, your business case forward? Mm-hmm. That's, for me, yeah. there is not... A single solution every time. It's really about. Have you had? Uh, have you bought such a tool in the past? If yes, what was the su- success like? Should we be aware of, you know, for instance, a bad experience the CFO may have had, and then we should be extra careful uh, related to mm. the, f- n- the features. But usually, it's the, f- the first level only. The usage specifically. Uh, anything related to customer support and implementation. Sometimes you need to hire specific people or to put some dedicated resources for the integration. Uh, the cost uh, in terms of HR as well is important from a CFO perspective.
1: Before we move into the next segment, here is a quick word from HubSpot. Is your software bill out of control? You're not the only one considering a breakup with your tech stack right now. Let me introduce you to HubSpot CRM. It's the best platforms to speed up your sales and scale your business without blowing your budget. HubSpot's powerful CRM helps you automate tedious tasks, keep track of all your deals in one place, and make sure your whole team has access to the same data. And best of all, you can try before you buy. No commitment, no hidden fees, not even a credit card is needed to sign up. Learn more at hubspot.com.
2: Pick up from the word you use, the bad experience of CFO. Mm. He could be coming onto your table with some prior bad experience. And- In Upspot, we are very, very keen on the ease of buying process. We want to make it very easy for everybody to interact with us. So what we do is we always thrive for efficiencies and how we want to make it so seamlessly easy to understand our terms, our contractual agreements, etc. So I think one of the key things is when we speak to our spocs CFO's desk, and procurement together i think they handle this part of it uh, very heavily and the headaches of uh, knowing the non-standard payment terms and things that are much more difficult are all falling into this desk so it'll be that much more better for a salesperson to put forth this obviously I have as many clear terms as possible but a kind of a um, good fit feeling and also more of making the CF and the procurement teams, influencers, and in a positive way. What do you you think, uh, either of you?
0: Uh, I can answer to to today's. uh, My view on that is that uh, it's key that the sales, uh, the account executive has enough experience or or guidance to be able to interact directly. There shouldn't be too much back and forth between, except for specific cases, but when it comes to payment terms, the sales leader should Provide a range of what is acceptable without the AE having to check again with the leader. For me, that comes back to what you just said about the ease of buying. Mm-hmm. Um, and the second thing is understand uh, from the, the sales perspective the fact that from a procurement perspective they are permanent terms but they are the role of a of a procurement team is to actually lower the cost and to work with the um, with your champion to make sure that the the power on the procurement team is balanced in a way so that you don't find yourself in a situation where because procurement has so much power they've not been. Counterbalanced in a way from a business side so that you can still keep the margin that will allow you to invest in the relationship moving forward.
1: What I would add to that as well real quick is the fact that, you know, selling is a team sport. It's not the salesperson who is only selling. There really should be a strong cross-functional alignment behind the deal and also executive sponsorship. That's extremely important. When we are talking to C-level executives it's also, we should be also involving our own executives to, to come on these calls and build those relationships um, to, to strengthen that, that conversation that you both are mentioning and uh, what we're talking about. There is uh, actually something that our conversation right now made me think of, and it is, how can we prepare ourselves people for that conversation with the CFO? What kind of questions should AEs ask to CFOs and what kind of questions they should expect from CFOs during that conversations? Do you guys have any examples?
0: The first thing would be to ask uh, either your CFO or the champion whether they've bought a similar tour in the past. Companies who are starting their digital transformation may not be used to, use to buy SaaS solutions. I would take the example of India's companies in India would say, why should I buy a software since I could ask a software development company to build a tool for me? So it's buy versus build uh, that can be uh, um, that can come into question. Uh, that would be the first one. Have you already bought? So that again, you, you are in a situation where the principle of using a tool that you don't actually own is, is something that, that they understand. Basic checks before you speak is when does the financial year end? Checking with your, your champion. Okay, have you budget available? And, and to have a conversation with the CFO to understand. Okay, we know that in this world now, most CFOs we speak with will focus on spend management and efficiency. If you were to prioritize one of these two, where would you see the most important aspect? So that you know, we can we can have a fruitful conversation. Adi, would you would like to add on yeah, top of
2: that? It is so valid uh, for us to prepare our AIs to ask the right questions. And I think you you said the word right. The financial part of it, we cannot ignore the the saving of the cost or the need to raise the revenue bars etc but one of the things that I have always felt the most crucial conversation when I sit in a CFO's meeting is the awareness that CFO has a seat in the table with the board as close as the CEO does and because of which a CFO as a better understanding of the long-term roadmap and a long-term value that they're chasing. And if your product or services can align with those long-term roadmap that bring in the symphony, of what your services and products offer to what their company aspires to grow, then I think it's, it's a plus point as big as a return on investment or a financial metric that we work out with them. And for me, I think one of the things I always ask CFOs is the previous partnerships, how how recent have some of these partnerships have been, and what's the kind of financial impact they've seen, what's the buyer remorse that they must have gone through. And that generally comes from a numerical value when you're talking to a CFO. And it's very good because then, like going back to the compelling reason again and again, it helps you to really justify if you're selling something there and solving a true problem. And once you know you're solving a true problem and a CFO's desk can help you analyze that in in a measurable way, I think you have a more stickiness into the sales that's what i think Ramka. your thoughts
1: i think one more that is it is a double-edged sword it's a risky one you have to have a little bit of a relationship there already you have to know how certain you are as a vendor of choice perhaps at least from the business perspective but the question that i like asking to cfos as well is what is going to help you buy and from there we will know are we talking purely about discounts here Or how much of this value conversation we still need to have? Has our champion did a great job in selling the solution internally? Or do we need to help them uh, to still kind of sell to CFO? Uh, just yet so that's another one that I that I also have uh, have in mind.
2: The moment you mentioned negotiation I was so kicked mm-hmm. in to ask this question mm-hmm. to Chris Chris, you worked in India and India CFO community is known <laughs> for the way they negotiate yes. any tips any any experiences that you had to, through which you look into it and give the tips to the upcoming uh, sales professionals at this part of the world. So I'm going to
0: take the, the experience I've had at PayPal so the the caveat. So the, the thing is that I was actually remote most of the time, so I was working with CFOs out of Singapore. So I that would, that would say two things, one, make sure that you meet in person at Key moments. It's it's very important. India is such a competitive market that decision makers in general are bombarded with emails, phone calls, and and it's really key to show that you're you're here on the for the long run and that you're making taking the time to meet them in person. That's that's very important. You can use you but nothing replaces in person meeting. Mm-hmm. The second is to is to understand that because there is there is such a high competition, if you can't show the value, you may be undercut by a local competitor who is going to be definitely cheaper than you as a as a foreign company, and again showing that you have unique a way to to link business strategic ob- objectives with uh, with the tool, uh, it's it's going to be very important. And the last thing is to understand that they can ultimately decide if they believe that they can get this tool built for a cheaper price. They they can say, well, we will look at that later. It may not be feasible technically to to build from scratch a platform, obviously, like like, like HubSpot. But that's, that's the risk you face in this market that I don't, right. I don't see in other markets, build versus buy,
2: quite prevalent in India. Thank you so much for sharing that. And we spoke about procrastination from the leaders in this part of the world, and they put the things for the future. And talking about the future, we come to that part of the show where we ask our guests, to look into the crystal balls and look into the future and share with us the insights they see. And what I want to know is with your experience of having worked so many regions and countries and continents and now being a very influential leader in this part of the region, what's your forecast for how sales in Asia will evolve in the next 5 to 10 years? What's the number one thing that you'll think will change I would definitely mention the impact
0: of artificial intelligence in the in the sales cycle. Uh, we now see more and more automation. Uh, actually I would say automation is actually accelerating uh, for good and sometimes not good reasons. My point is that with ChatGPT you now see tools and I know that HubSpot you're definitely investing into artificial intelligence uh, wizard-based uh, tools in your platform. The prevalence of Automated uh, sequences is going to increase, meaning that great companies will understand that personalization is going to be key, but a lot of decision makers are going to be flooded again with AI-based sequences. And the impact specifically is uh, on how we are going to be able to sell across Asia. My experience is that Asia is a very much channel-based market, whereby having a lo- local partner on the ground, someone who has existing relationship because uh, it might be a hardware partner, for instance, that know the the company very well and who wants to expand into software. And that's mm-hmm. actually the approach we've had uh, at Panopto in Japan is to partner with Panasonic. It's a massive uh, company in Japan, and they were interested to bring some recurring revenue. And so the more emails. Email inboxes are going to be flooded with uh, yet another automated sequence. The more local partners are going to be important. Uh, You're going to cut through the noise. And this is where also the power of relationship, human relationship between you and your partner and your customer is going to be key. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, people buy from people they like. There is an emotional component in addition to the business value. And for me, uh, the importance of of partnerships and having a great network is going to be even
2: more important. I think you just gave us the soundbite of this episode.
1: Definitely. What I liked what you said just now as well is that uh, how important relationships are, how important, and that's something that you mentioned earlier as well, how multi-threading early is is important as well in in building that relationship, having that emotional component as well in check. We very often forget about it. We very often... Really, don't even mention it in our conversations uh, about deals. But that's such an important piece, and um, psychology of selling and uh, and everything around building that strong human connection. People buy from people. That's something that we should remember. Adi, do you want to add anything on that?
2: Yeah, I just remembered the conversation me and you had, Romka, where mm. the platforms like like what HubSpot uh, provides, it helps companies to have a linear sales organization i know people buy from people mm-hmm. however you don't want your people to be talking to people who potentially don't buy so you would want to have team which is spending more of their bandwidth talking to good fit personas so let the automation take control let the tech take control where it can and I think we spoke about Mm -hmm. the emerging technologies for the future and we are leaping into it big way and I see my team for example speaks to those who are really interested in having a partnership and doing a transaction because Mm -hmm. times have changed even the buyers have changed. They come prepared for a meeting only after they've studied about the product. They know why they're buying something they're about to buy. Mm-hmm. And those days of surprising a customer with their own need and want, which they didn't know, are all gone. People are more aware. People are aware of their problems. People are aware of the choices of solutions they have. I think there is
0: definitely a value where you can get your sales team be more efficient by tasks that can be automated, I think it's still a very important uh, value that platforms can bring to the business. If you set many things on autopilot and you wait for customers to come to you because they've been hooked through a sequence, I think that's that's a danger or a pitfall that can happen.
1: Amazing. Well, Chris, thank you so much for coming on podcast uh, with us today. We definitely have learned uh, a ton of great tips around What are some of, some of the most important priorities for CFOs? We spoke about tools, about being the vendor that is approaching the customer at the right time, costs that are that are hidden or not this is something that CFOs are looking at as well the total cost of ownership and of course uh, pricing and how that conversation with CFOs have evolved we spoke a little bit more about the importance of value delivering that value the ROI calculators and the in general the ROI conversation how CFOs as well now are tracking the uh, the spend uh, and and the importance of customer success plans and and thank you as well for talking to us a little bit about your forecasts uh, for the future the importance of ai the buy versus build that's also one of the more key messages that we uh that that we got from today so thank you so much again for for coming today it's a great pleasure to host you and uh, we wish you all the very best for the future thank you so much
0: Thank you both, Romka and Heidi. It's been really a, a fun experience for me. I was really happy to be part of this show.
1: Thanks for tuning into HubSpot Asia Growth Forecast today. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe to the show and leave us a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or whatever you're listening to this show. Oh, and one more thing. If you found the discussion valuable, share it with at least one more person who you think would enjoy listening to it. That's it for this episode, and we will see you real soon on Asia Growth Forecast.